I wish I could keep you up here, but there you go. I won't forget the Wiltites. Amen. Will you? The first place I preached in Japan was in in Sapporo, Hokkaido, all those years ago. And I preached the whole way from Hokkaido down to Fukuoka and so many places. I preached all over Japan. And uh, so thankful that they're there for the Lord. He's not these nice boys over there and they're going to do something for the Lord. Please pray for Japan. Whenever... Uh, the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, it, of course, stopped the war. I had a brother that was preparing to be the first group that would land upon Japan if they hadn't dropped the bomb. And, of course, all of those boys would have been killed because the Japanese were really fortified in Japan and uh, would have... It would have taken hundreds of thousands of American lives to conquer Japan that way. And so they dropped the bomb. I've been there and I've seen where the bomb was dropped and, and, uh, and the devastation. I've known, I, ha- I know now some people that were there when the bomb was dropped. One of them was a baby, a Korean baby. And that Korean baby is a, past- is a pastor's wife. But uh, whenever they dropped the atomic bomb in Japan, afterwards in the surrender, uh, I had a friend of mine, his pastor there, uh, uh, Ishihara Sensei, Pastor Ishihara. And uh, he had been an interpreter for, for MacArthur. MacArthur didn't keep one interpreter. He, had, he would use several because of security reasons, I guess. But uh, Ishihara was a pastor. He was a pastor in Tokyo before the war began with America. And so you can imagine that he, a Christian pastor, Baptist pastor, went through a lot of real persecution during the war. Was considered a foreigner. And uh, so uh, Pastor Ishihara got all the pastors, all the born-again gospel-preaching pastors in Japan, and they went to MacArthur as a group, and Ishar was the spokesman. He said, we've come here to ask you to destroy all the temples of Japan. Destroy every one of them. He said, if you do that, then we'll have a chance to make Japan a Christian nation. But if you don't destroy all the altars and all, all the temples and idols, we, 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 don't have a, we don't have a chance against that culture. And so MacArthur said, well, I'll take it in consideration. And I'll contact my superiors and see what they say. And so later on, they went back to see him and he said, I've contacted the president and all the leaders of America that I could contact. And all of them said I couldn't do that because it would be of historical significance to keep those... and." Pastor Ishihara said, Japan will never be a Christian nation because of all these idols and all these temples. You know, America has to watch out that we don't become idol worshipers. And uh, worshipers of things other than God Almighty. And uh, I I could really preach a sermon on that. I'm not going to. I'm going to preach out of 1 Corinthians, if you'd like to turn your Bible there. In chapter 2 and chapter 3 this morning of 1 Corinthians. But we have to watch out we don't get a hold of idols. One of our idols could be entertainment. America's crazy about entertainment. And some of our entertainment is so bad. Now, I'm going to tell you what I believe, okay? Whenever you preach up here, you can tell these people what you believe. And by the way, we've got us a nice crowd here this morning. Amen. You look around, this is a good group of people. Thank God for this and uh, for your, your participation in bringing others to church. And that's the way churches grow, with the people doing it. But anyhow, uh, I'm going to say a few things about those idols and how bad they are. Entertainment is bad. We've got these little boys sitting, little boys and girls sitting with these bink, bink, binkers, whatever they are, controllers. 
And they're playing games. And I can't even remember the thing, because I've never played one of them, and I don't intend to. But they're playing games on the television of killing people. Bang, bang, crash, bang. Blood flying everywhere. Shooting them down. Uh, Some of them are zombies. Some of them are soldiers. I've seen a little bit because some of our grandkids play that stuff. And I'll tell you, uh, there's no no wonder that uh, we've had all of these killings in all these colleges. What, something like 50 now this year? Shootings. I mean, they're doing it on... In their mind, they're doing it on TV. Blim, 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 blim. You know, you can... I'm getting off my subject entirely, but I want to preach two sermons. And this is the first one. You have to watch out. We don't get idols. Some people, are their idols are animals. Some people treat their dogs and their cats a whole lot better than they do their kids. Now, I know I'm not against animals. Uh... I saw a bumper sticker the other day. Said, "I like cats. They take they taste good with possum." Oh, did I say that? I I don't mean that. It's just a funny. But <laughs> I think it's funny. Now, come on, laugh at that. You you got a cat that you love. Well, I'm not talking about eating your cat. I wouldn't even want to eat your cat. Your cat don't want to eat me. I don't want to eat your cat. All right, but. Uh, we have to watch out. We don't let things like that become more important to us than God. We have all kinds of things. Like, there are some people, all they can think about is antiques. Now, my wife has got an antique, and she really loves that antique. I'm not against antiques. My wife's antique is me. <laughs> but, there, you know what? you know what I'm talking about? Anything that you make more of than God is an idol. Wow. All right, Brother Clayton, that's enough of that. Uh, and sometimes money can be an idol. The Bible calls it mammon of unrighteousness. I was trying to remember that. I was talking to one of the Wilhite boys last night, and I was trying to remember that word, and it just wouldn't come. I mean, it's way back there in the depths of unknown. That's what happens to you when you get old. You, two things happen to you when you get old. First thing is you lose your memory. And I can't remember the other one. Yeah. <laughs> I laugh at my own jokes. I like them, that's why I tell them. <laughs> Any of you old folks got problems with that, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, anyhow, but... Uh, one old boy was talking to his buddy across the fence in the backyard. And he said, how are you doing, Joe? He said, oh, fine, I'm doing just fine. He said, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm doing all right, but I just don't have any memory. Well, he said, I had that problem, and my wife got me some medicine for it. Oh, he said, she did. He said, what's the name of it? He said, name of what? <laughs> he said, name of that medicine. What medicine? He said, the medicine for your memory. Oh, he said, you know that little uh, flower, red, and it has little stickers on it? He said, yeah, that's a rose. Oh, he said, that's it. Hey, Rose, what's the name of that medicine? (laughs) (laughs) Crazy, isn't it? (laughs) Well, it's interesting anyhow, right? (laughs) The only thing I never forgot is my wife, amen? But uh, let me get out of that. How am I going to get out of that, Lois? Get me out of here. But uh, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about money this morning. Some people say, well, I go to church and that's all they do is talk about money, 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 money. I've never known anybody say that that gives any money. It's a whole lot like the guy said that about his wife. said, my wife talks about money all the time. He said, when I go home at night, she's talking about money. I get up in the morning, she's talking about money. He said, I go to work, come back home. Always money. His buddy said, well, how much do you give her? He said, I don't give her any. Maybe that's why she's talking about it all the time, right? Amen. (laughs) But uh, 
I said I laugh at my own jokes, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit about money and giving, because that's a part of the subject that goes on in mission conferences. And uh, it's right for us to talk about an investment in God's work. And that's what it is. I want to invest something in the Wilhite family. I, I know Japan. I really like Japan. Uh, it's got its own peculiarities. If you ever get a chance to go there, don't go to Tokyo. That's too big. You can fly into fly into uh, fly into. Uh, oh, I can't figure the name of the town now. See what I mean? But uh, don't fly into Tokyo. Nagoya, fly into Nagoya, and go see the Nagoya Castle. Go to go to uh, uh, see all the things and enjoy it. It's a good place to go. But they're not there just for a vacation or a sightseeing tour. They've seen all that stuff and they don't care to see it again. I'm sure. But you you'd be surprised about Japan. It's a real opportunity. If we could ever really get the mind of the Japanese in, in our circles. They're very aggressive, uh, energetic, enterprising people. And they really do a good job whenever they sell out to God. I've got a lot of stories about Japan. I can tell you a zillion uh, of people that I've met and people I was with and some of the leaders. I've had the opportunity to be with some of the leaders and I'm impressed with it, and we want to pray for them, and we want to support them, and continue to support them, and that's what it's all about. Well, here is First uh, Corinthians. Now, I said this morning in Sunday school that Corinth is kind of at the bottom of Greece. My wife and I have been there, and we've walked down the streets that Paul the Apostle walked on. The same stones are there. Uh, as you'd walk down toward the Bema Seat which are steps up to a flat place. As you walk down that street toward the Bema Seat, on the right or on the left you would see the old Roman baths, the bathhouses of the old Romans. On the other side is the Agora, the, the marketplace. It's still there. I mean, the foundations of all of that is still there. You can walk through them and look at them. Paul the Apostle walked down there. He came to Corinth to preach the gospel. Now, Rome had been to Corinth at one time, sent all their big battleships right up to Corinth and uh, right up to uh, that area of, of, uh, of uh, Greece. And the Corinthians looked out and saw all those boats out there. And they said, man, we better, we better switch than fight. Because we're not going to be able to fight all them Romans and all them big battleships and all those soldiers on those battleships. So they surrendered. And the Romans came up into the, up into the city of Corinth and chopped the heads off of every man. And took the women and kids back to Rome. The Grecian women, beautiful women. And the Ro Romans, men, liked those Grecian women. And was marrying up with them and having children by them. And one of the Roman uh, Caesars said, uh, we're going to get rid of these Greeks and send them all back. And they sent them all back to Corinth. And they reestablished the city of Corinth. Now Paul comes. The Romans had been there. Other countries had been there. Now here comes the gospel. And Paul comes there to preach the gospel in that place. Uh, in Corinth, there's many great big ruins of great big false gods' temples. The big columns, the big pillars still stand, many of them. And they were built in such a way that even today, after they have been built there, hundreds of years they've stood there, you couldn't take a pocket knife and stick in between the cracks of those pillars that have been built stone pillars. They were built so well by great architects. It was quite a city. I'm trying to get your attention toward that. Uh, but it was a wicked city. 
You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul says, uh, without love and without charity, your good is like sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. Well, the Corinthians, Corinthians knew exactly what he was talking about. Because the harlots of Corinth wore little bells and little, little pieces of metal on the end of their skirts that would jingle when they walked to advertise their illicit business. And so all those things kind of tie in with studying this book, First First Corinthians. I hope that you would make a study of it. It will really do something for your life if you really get into First Corinthians and really study it. Now, Paul is talking to these people. I mean, they had good commerce. Uh, and they had uh, blessings. I mean, I love Corinth. I go, we go there. We go to Athens and get a, 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 a bus and go to Corinth. And New Corinth, is a, is, it's not a big city, but it's a fun place. Down on the end of the street in New Corinth, there's a Greek restaurant. <laughs> and uh, we often go there if we're, if we're there to eat. And the woman who runs that restaurant... It's kind of a little bit of a friend of mine. I was there and talking to her, and uh, she said, I have a brother in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, PA. I said, oh, okay. I said, uh, you give me his, uh, his telephone number, his address, and I'll see if I can contact him for you and tell you that I was here to see you. And I took a picture of her, and I was able to contact him, and he wrote a nice letter in Greek. The next time I went, I took the letter with me there and gave it to her. Oh, she was so glad to get that letter from her brother in Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, Corinth, it's quite a place. Now, I'm taking a little time on this to get your attention, because I'm going to preach for about one more hour. Is that okay? But I won't go that. But I do want to talk. I want to give that to you. Kind of an idea about Corinth. Corintho, they call it. It's a beautiful place. And you can sit there and look out over the Aegean Sea and look for miles over that water. And that turquoise water of the Aegean Sea is so clear, you can stand on the deck of an ocean-going vessel and see the bottom. That's how clear and clean that water is. There was last time we were there. It's a beautiful place. All right, Paul has come there to preach. Now he wants to talk to them because he had come from Athens. In Acts chapter 17, he'd been in Athens. And while he was in Athens, he got entangled with the Epicureans and the Stoics, who were philosophers. And he presented Christianity as a better philosophy than they had. You know, you never want to present Christianity as the better of all, but you have to present Christianity as the only. Not the best of all, but the only. Well, Paul got kind of wrapped up standing there on Mars Hill. My wife and I have been on Mars Hill. You can see all of Athens from Mars Hill. You can see the Agora. You can, you can see the Parthenon. It's a beautiful place to stand. And Paul, I'm sure I, he was taken back by that when he saw all those temples built for strange gods. And now Paul, uh, he it really wasn't a success at Athens. It had been other places. So now Paul goes to Corinth. And in chapter two, uh, chapter 2, he says to the Corinthian people, after having been to Athens, he says, And I, brethren... When I came unto you, came not with the excellency of speech or of man's wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, you Corinthians, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and, and of power. He said, I came to you not as a philosopher at Athens, but I came to you as just a simple gospel preacher. 
to tell you what God says and what Jesus says. And that's the greatest after all. That's the greatest message of all. I mean, you, the world is full of all kinds of philosophies. And there's Nietzsche and there, there's uh, all these philosophers. Uh, and I can't remember all their names, but all these French philosophers and German philosophers and Marx and, and, and uh, all of that stuff. But you know what? The gospel of Jesus Christ before any of them still stands as the greatest way for man to live. And it's a simple, simple program. And it was in that song we sung today. I can hear the joyful sound, Jesus saved, Jesus saved. Amen. That's the message. All right, now then, he's talking to this great city, this great people. They're great people, those, those Corinthians. They were great people. And he's talking to them, and in chapter 3, he says this, he says, I have planted, you see that in chapter 3, verse number 6. He says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. He's talking about other preachers that are there, that the Corinthians kind of took factions behind. Uh, one of them is saying, you know, I like Apollos preaching better than Paul's, and so I'm going to follow Apollos. And someone's saying, I like Paul better than Apollos, and I'm going to follow Paul. Paul said, hey, he said, uh, uh, this, uh, this is not right. We're all brothers in Christ, and I'll read that to you in a minute. But he said, I'm a planter. I planted. And he came to Corinth with the idea of planting the gospel in that place. He's a planter. I remember on the farm when I was a boy planting. I loved the spring. Go out and dig up the earth. New dug earth has a good smell to it. To a farmer, it smells good. My daddy used to take a hold of the dirt and smell it. And he could tell the condition of the soil by just smelling. And he would say, this, this, this earth needs some lime. And we'd get lime and put on it and dig it in with it or, or whatever. It needs fertilizer. And we'd get, you know, my dad could sense the smell of the... I liked the springtime and the smell of the dirt. And I remember plowing, a lot of work and a lot of sweat. But I remember digging and plowing the, the earth and heaping up uh, what we call windrows, heaping up the earth in a row for us to plant the seed. We go out there, we go out there early in the morning, especially if it was raining, and we'd transplant the tobacco plants in that windrow. We raised tobacco. Uh, I wouldn't raise it today, and I certainly wouldn't smoke it. And I absolutely wouldn't chew it. You know, there's people that chew tobacco. Yeah. One preacher was up preaching about how wicked smoking was and how bad it was for your health. And there's a guy sitting back there with stains of tobacco juice on his chin. And he said, Amen, Amen. With its jaw full of tobacco. Amen. Amen. And the preacher said, What are you doing saying amen? Well, you've got a whole mouth full of tobacco. He said, Well, a man ought to go to hell for burning up something that tastes so good. That's funny. Come on. I tell that in Kentucky and everybody laughs. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, uh, we'd plant that tobacco out there in that early spring. Wow. Had a one-mule corn planter and cotton planter. And I'd get a hold of his handles and I'd get that old gray mule of ours going down that windrow and I'd be planting, planting cotton. You know, they say that uh, tobacco seed is more expensive per pound than gold. Tobacco seed used to be. We'd make a big bed and plant the seeds in this big bed of dirt. Then we'd transplant the plants, and that's the way we did tobacco. And it was it's nice to be a planter. 
Paul said, I've come to Corinth to plant a church. I remember when Pete said, Brother Clayton, I'm going to leave you. I said, oh, Pete, you're not going to leave me. You're going to stay with me forever. He said, no, I told you when I came to you, I was going to go to the East Coast and start churches. I said, well, if you're determined, I'm going to take you and show you a place. And I brought him to Astoria. Or he brought me. I don't know how it was anymore, but we came to Astoria. He's a planter. He planted this church for God. Good job, don't you think? Amen? And lives have been changed. And uh, the kids, you got the nicest kids around here. They sit and listen and quiet. Some of these places I go to preach, the kids are tearing up the joint. They got to get them out of there. These kids are not you're doing the work here. Plant, planting a church. Paul said, I've planted, Apollos has watered, but it's God that gives the increase. This is God's church. This is God's work. It's not the work of a man. It's the work of the Holy Spirit of God, as he said here in chapter 2. He said, I came with my speech, not with enticing words, but in verse 4, in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That was a demonstration there of the power of God. Wow. Then in verse number 9 of chapter 3, Go back to chapter 3 again. He said, I'm a planter. All this money that we gather up for missions, it's planting. It's the first step of farming is planting. So we're planting something. Paul was a planter. Verse number 9 For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Paul said, I'm a planter, but I'm also a laborer. We're all laborers. We're workers. And he says, we're workers together. You see, this verse has a three-point outline in this verse. For we are laborers. That's the first thing. Don't forget that we're workers. It doesn't hurt us to... Sweat a little bit to do the work of God. We're, and then it says, we're workers together. This is something we're doing together here. It's something that we have put our shoulders together to the, to the load, to push the load for God. We're doing this together, amen. And every one of us has got a certain area of service and labor in this church. We're doing it together. And it says... We are workers or laborers together. And the third point is with God. God's in it too. He's laboring in it too. We're workers together with God. God's here. You know, we gather here together this morning. You know, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is here. Now, what happens is when you go to church, certain people you always so enjoy to see. And that's good that you have good friends in church. And uh, always you want to see the pastor and hear him preach. And I'll tell you, Pete's a great preacher. I know that because I've heard him preach. And I bet that boy has can preach too. Amen. But uh, we're laborers together with God. The Lord Jesus is here. He's hearing what I say. He knows what we have sung. Do you sing the songs with joy? Oh, I said, I couldn't hardly contain myself. I said, Amen, and some women around me jumped. Because I said it's aloud. But I, I, I love it all. I'm, the Lord is here, and I, I appreciate His presence. He says, I'm a planter. He says, I'm a laborer. Now, you look up here in verse number 12 of chapter 3. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. In the next verse. Paul said, I'm also a builder. 
I'm building something. You know, we're all building something all the time. You know that? We're always building. Isn't it strange that princes and kings and clowns that caper in sawdust rings and common people like you and me are builders for eternity? Each is given a block of wood, a, a, a book of rules, a, a, a group of tools and a book of rules. And each, each must make before life is gone a stumbling block or a stepping stone. We're builders. We're workers. We're laborers. We're builders. We're building something. Yeah, some of you are trying to build a family. You're having children to build a good family. That's a good thing to do. My wife and I only had three, four actually. We lost our first one. We would have had many, many more if God would have given them to us. We just didn't have them. But God gave us them kids and we work hard to build that family. And now with me and my two sons and my son-in-law and my grandsons and I should say our grandsons-in-law, there are 12 of us that are preaching this morning. And you know what? That took a lot of labor to build that family. We put a lot of love and a lot of work in that to build those kids. You're builders. We're builders. Some of you are trying to build a testimony where you work or in your family. You're working hard at that. You're praying about it. You're, you're careful about what you say and about the kind of clothes you wear and the, and the kind of attitude you have. You're, you're working hard to build a testimony. That's good. God bless you for that. That testimony is going to count more to those people that see you than anything I can preach. Let me tell you that. We're builders. We're trying to build this church. We're trying to build these missionaries that we send out. We're trying to build churches in Japan. We're, we're trying to build churches on the mission field. We're, we're trying to build churches in Africa. We're trying to build churches in Haiti. My wife and I built five churches in Haiti. Five in Mexico. We built one in Panama. Several in Europe. We're working on the mission field, to build something. We're builders. It costs money to build. Look at this beautiful pulpit up here. That solid oak like that, that's not cheap, you know. It's about as cheap as gold anymore, that beautiful oak wood. And Pete put a lot of time and effort and skill into this, and it came out beautiful. We're builders. We're building something for God. We're building a church. We're building a testimony. We're building a family. We're building a prayer life. The struggle isn't to pray as we ought to pray. You have to work at that. You have to determine you're going to pray together as husband and wife and family and kids. It's a, it's a, it's a real thing to pray together. You're praying. We're builders. And so we, we, we bring our money, we bring ourselves, we bring our loves, we bring our energy, we, we bring the strength that we have and the enter, enterprise is a good word. Look it up and see. It's a great word. We, we bring our enterprise, we put it together here in this church. We're builders. I like to be a builder. I enjoy building something. When I was a kid, we didn't have any toys. We didn't have any toys. I'd take a block of wood. Mama had a sharp knife always, and I'd get her paring knife. Where's my knife at? This knife is dull. Well, it should be dull. I've been cutting on that wood all in it all day. And I'd cut and cut and cut and get an old pencil, that old lead. Remember the old lead pencil that was big as my... Great big old lead pencil, a great big lead in it, and I'd get out there and I'd draw me a wheel on there and I'd cut it out and I'd have to make my own cars. You know, uh, if I wanted a if I wanted a uh, a, a washer, uh, I couldn't buy it at the hardware. I'd take a piece of wire and go to the man, anvil, and I'd take a hammer and I'd pound out me a a, a washer. I'd make my own washer. And, uh, you know, I, I've always liked being a builder. Paul said we're builders. 
We've got a foundation. And if we build on this building in verse 12, gold or silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, whatever you got, you put it on the, you put it on the foundation and you, you build with that, whatever it is. It may not be much. I was down in, uh, we were out in Kansas and I was coming to Youngstown to start a church. And in that church, there was three little girls, and one played the organ. I mean, they were just like this. You know, they were just little kids. They weren't big. One played the accordion. It was so big, and she could hardly stand spraddle-legged to play that accordion, you know. And uh, three little girls, and their daddy, Sweetwood, was their name. The last name was Sweetwood. Little Sweetwood girls. And uh, their daddy had been real sick. It was a miracle he was alive when we were there. And the church was all praising God that he had been healed of cancer. But he hadn't been able to work for several years. And they didn't have anything. And those little girls were saving dimes for Christmas. And they had a little bit of a handful of dimes. And I preached all week about going to Youngstown, start a new church. And those little sweetheart girls got together and took those little dimes and tied them up in a hanky. Remember when ladies had hankies? They didn't have a, a Kleenex. They had, we, didn't have any, we didn't have any tissue back years ago. They had hankies. And they tied it up in a little hanky. And they brought it to me. Little, three little sweethearts. And they brought them to me and said, Here, Brother Clayton, we want you to take our money. And we want you to, to help build that church in Youngstown. I took it and thanked them for it. And I said, I sure will, and all that. And then when we left uh, to go to Youngstown, I told him, I said, come to the car with me. And I said, I'm going to give you these little dimes back. Uh, and you, you use them to buy the little girls some presents at Christmas. Oh, he said, Brother Clayton, I'm not taking them. No way are you going to give them to me. He said, those little girls gave that investment for God in Youngstown Baptist Church. Now you take them up there and you use them. You know, I was embarrassed. I apologized. And I took that little bit of money. God bless their little sweethearts. I took that little bit of money and I used that little bit of money for the Youngstown. Never, I mean, we raised what would be like $2 million today. We raised to build that church. And you know what? There wasn't any more important money in that whole place than that little bit of stubble. It wasn't gold and silver and precious stones. It was stubble. But those little girls gave that little bit. Little Sweetwood girls. We're builders. Paul said, I'm a builder. That's what I am. Now turn over to chapter 4. And I'm going to end on this one. Chapter 4, verse 1. You have it? You have your Bible open there? 1 Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministry of Christ, ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, of God. You see that word steward there? Steward? We're stewards. Paul was a steward. You know what a steward was? He was a valet or a or a uh, assistant. Uh, that's what a steward was. You know, Herod Steward was his wife. Herod Steward's wife, uh, Yusa, uh, was converted to Jesus Christ and ministered unto the Lord. Uh, and he was Herod Steward. His wife got saved. Now, a steward is somebody that takes care of another man's possessions. A valet. Valet. You can call him either one. Paul said, I'm a steward of the grace and the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all stewards here this morning. All of us. We're taking care of the things that belong to our Father, our Master, our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords, our Jesus we're stewards of His goodness and grace. And what we do, we do in response 
to our position as stewards for the grace of God. A steward. There was a great preacher in Chicago many years ago. He, uh, at one time, he filled up Soldier's Field in Chicago. That's a hundred some thousand seats. He filled it for his revival. Great preacher. And he went golfing every week with this great Jewish merchant. He owned the Bear Stores in Chicago, which in those days were bigger than a Walmart today. And they were all over the area. And he was a multi, multi-millionaire. Would be billionaire today. He was an old man, an old Jewish man. And this preacher took him out golfing every week. And he was talking to him about his soul and witnessing to him about the Lord. And he'd say, oh, now, Mel, he said, I, I, uh, I know that you're, it really means something to you, but Jesus Christ doesn't mean anything to me. I'm a Jew. And he kept on and on and on. He liked this guy. He liked this preacher. They became best of friends. And one day out there on one of the greens, I'm going to say number nine, but I don't remember exactly which one, out in the middle of the golf course, this old Jewish guy had a heart attack. And the preacher sat down on the grass and held him up in his arms while the old man was dying. And he said, Paul, it's Paul, not Mel. He said, Paul, pray for me. I, I want to go to heaven. And if, if it really is true that you can go to heaven through Jesus Christ, then I want Jesus Christ. Paul sat there and led him to Christ. And the old man died in his arms. Well, Pastor Paul had the funeral. And people, great people from all over the world came there. And after the funeral was over, this old Jewish man, his sons came to the preacher and said, Now, you are my dad's best friend. And uh, you say that he converted to Christ before he died. He said, they said that, that was his business. If he wanted to do that, that's fine. And we're going to do something for you because you're my dad's friend. Kind of reminds me of God doing something for us because of his son. Amen. But he said, we're going to do something for you because of what you did for our father. He said, we own this big mansion down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Giant mansion. And said, uh, we're going to not deed this to you, but we're going to give it to you. And as long as you live, it's yours. You can go down there any time. He said, we have a family that lives there in a separate house that takes care of the mansion. You never have to call them and tell them you're coming. Just go. They've got everything ready for you all the time. The beds are all made. The house is always swept out and clean. The food is all ready to be cooked all the time said, He is our steward. He takes care of that mansion for us. Now He's going to be your steward. And He's going to take care of that mansion for you. Wow. Isn't that a good application? Good story for application? We're the stewards of God. We have, have as it is this body like a mansion. We have as it is the ministry like that mansion. We have as it is all of our possessions. They all belong to the Father. And we're stewards. We're to take care of that so that at any time the Lord seeks to visit us, everything would be ready. Boy, I want to be a good steward, don't you? I want to be a good steward. I want to do the things that please the master who did so much for me. Now, my master has a, a mansion in heaven. And he's taking care of that mansion. And one of these days, hallelujah, the trumpet's going to sound. And I'm going to go up there to that mansion. Not made with hands. 
made by the Son of God. And I want to be found faithful. That's what that next verse says. Verse 2 of chapter 4. Moreover, it is required of a stewards, uh, in stewards. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Let's bow our heads in prayer. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed here this morning, I believe God spoke through me to this church today. I believe God spoke to our hearts. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, let me ask you something. How many here to say, Brother Clayton, I got something out of your sermon. God spoke to my heart. Would you slip up your hand this morning? How many? Some of you didn't get a thing out of it? Okay. I hope you'll come back tonight. Maybe you can get something out of tonight's sermon. I wonder how many here tonight or today would say, Preacher, I've not been a faithful steward. A faithful steward of God's money or God's time. I've not been faithful. But I want to be. I want to be more faithful. I want to be a good steward. You'd say by the lifting of the hand, when you pray this morning, Preacher, I want you to pray for me. I don't know your name, but God does, and he'll see your hand. Slip up your hand this morning. A lot of hands here this morning. God bless us. God bless you. I believe you really mean that. I know you do. I know you do. God bless you. Is there anyone else who'd like to join that crowd? Hold up your hand. Let me ask you this morning. How many would say, Preacher... Preacher, I, uh, I've really never been saved. This young man got saved last night. Oh, that's a blessing. He came up to me and said, Brother Clayton, I got saved last night. Boy, what a blessing that is. Now, he got saved last night. You can get saved this morning. If, you, if you've never been saved, that is to say, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've never talked to the Lord and, and uh, given your life to Him, if you've never repented of your sins and really came to Jesus Christ for forgiveness, please do it this morning. How many here this morning would say, Preacher, if I die today, I don't know where I'd go to heaven or hell. Please pray for me this morning. Would you slip up your hands? How many? Hold it up this morning. Okay, let's stand together, shall we please? I believe this morning I want us to sing out of the songbook. Before we do that, I'm going to pray. And so I'd like for us to have our heads bowed and eyes closed. And I'd like to invite you to come pray with me this morning. There's nobody here but us, so why don't you just slip out of your seat and come this morning and gather around this place of prayer and pray with me this morning. You ought to fill it up this morning. Just fill the place up. We've got time to do that. If you have a schedule to meet, I would understand you leaving. But I want us to pray together. And I want us to, I want all of you that said you need to be a better steward, I want you just to come and kneel here and pray this morning. And if you have a, if you have a big need that you've been working on and trying to overcome and have not succeeded, I wish you'd slip out and come and tell the pastor about that and he can pray with you. Or if you're here this morning and you've never really been converted to Christ, why don't you come and meet us here? The pastor and assistant pastor. If you're a man, there's women here, preachers' wives, and workers here that'd be happy to pray with you if you want special prayer this morning. Just come and stand here in the front. I'll wait just a minute before I pray. Do that this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege of opening your book, what it means to us today, Lord. Oh, Father, I can't express to you with my limited knowledge of the English language, I can't express to you what's in my heart this morning.
I wish that I could, but I know that you see it. Oh, I know that you see it, Father. And I know that you know that I love you with all my heart. And that's the prayer of these folks here this morning. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd bless us all, that we might be the very best steward of God, the grace of God, that we might, we might be the uh, planters. Uh, we might be the laborers. We might be the builders. We might be the stewards that you'd have us to be, Father. We, we want to be that. We want to be close to you and have your blessing in your hand upon us. Bless us all, Lord. We're here together praying this morning. And I know that we all got a different prayer, but Lord, I know that you hear every one of them. Thank you for being here this morning, Lord. Thank you for being the unseen guest at every service. I pray, Father, that you'd bless us, Lord. Have your will and way in all of our lives. And help us to know you and be close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us to sing number 566. Stuart Hamlin's good old song, It Is No Secret What God Can Do. This is just a chorus. We'll sing it together. Let's sing it several times. It is no secret what God can do, what He's done for others, He'll do for you. His arms wide open, He'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. Isn't that a good chorus? It is no secret what God can do, what He's done for others, He'll do for you. With arms wide open, He'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do.